Hey there, Wizzes, and welcome back to another episode of Food Biz Wiz. My guest today is Dave Hirschkop, the founder and creative force behind Dave's Gourmet. I'm sure you guys know of Dave's Gourmet, that specialty foods company who has earned more than 17 specialty outstanding food innovation awards, including best in category four times. Twice his pasta sauces were honored as best in the industry. And today Dave shares his knowledge on developing award-winning products, what to do if your product isn't well-received, and a whole lot more. So let's jump right in. You're listening to Food Biz Wiz, the weekly podcast for everyone in the packaged food industry. Join your host, Allie Ball, to learn how to launch, grow, and scale your business. You'll hear real-life examples from her time as a professional grocery buyer, interviews with CPG experts, and listen in on actual client coaching sessions. Let's get going. This episode is brought to you by Retail Ready, my online course for producers of packaged product who are looking to grow their wholesale accounts. Retail Ready is opening for enrollment very soon. Through videos, workbooks, checklists, templates, live coaching calls with me, and daily access to me and my team in our private online group, Retail Ready has all the tools that you need to increase your sales through wholesale accounts, whether that's in traditional brick and mortar outlets or through e-commerce platforms. The first step to find out more about Retail Ready is to join my free masterclass on the three steps to growing your packaged food business, which I'll link to here in today's show notes. That hour-long webinar is jam-packed with advice that you can use to kickstart your growth right now, plus information on Retail Ready, on my past clients, and how we can work together. Sign up via the link in my show notes, and I will see you there. Hey, Dave. Great to have you on the show today. Thanks so much for having me. I really I do appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. So, Dave, I feel like you don't need that much of an intro here, but I'm going to do a quick one in case my listeners aren't familiar with your brand. So, Dave, you're the founder and creative force behind Dave's Gourmet, and Dave's Gourmet makes so many different products. So you've got gourmet pasta sauces, hot sauces, condiments, spices, on and on and on. Besides that, you've authored a cookbook, you've made a whole bunch of appearances on television, including on the Food Network, and over the past 20 years, you say you and your team have worked tirelessly to save the world from blandness and banality. I love that. So I'm so honored to have you on the podcast today to talk all about product. And after all, we're in the food industry and product is the heart of it. But I want to do a disclaimer before we start talking about product. And I have to tell you, Dave, we did an episode in season one that was all about how product is not the most important thing, not the only thing of importance when building a food business. And in today's episode, I think you're going to argue the opposite, that product is first and foremost, the key to a successful brand. So let's start right there. Can you tell us a bit more about Dave's Gourmet and what we're going to talk about on today's podcast? Absolutely. Thanks for all the the kind introduction. Uh, So, you know, a lot of people find it interesting, you know, how did I get into this business? And um, the quick and dirty to that is that, you know, I owned a taqueria 
uh, sort of a creative one called Burrito Madness many years ago. I didn't know that. Yeah, back in uh, Maryland, which College Park, Maryland, which is a university town. Mm-hmm. So we had a lot of drunks come in and <laughs> I do not like drunk people. So I used to make really hot sauces just as a joke to mess with them. And I figured out how to make sauces hotter than anyone in the world. And um, it got popular, got banned from the National Fiery Food Show. Uh, New York Times picked up on it and became this this thing. So we were this really hot foods company uh, that eventually morphed into more of a, a pasta sauce company and a sauce company. Mm-hmm. And then we added some snacks. Uh, now we have overnight oats. So, you know, lots of different things. But we've launched many products that didn't work and some that did work. <laughs> um, so we've made lots of mistakes and learned lots of lessons. And I wouldn't say product is the only thing that helps you in this business, but I think it is the most important thing. Um, but you know, there's lots of different ways to succeed, and it really partly depends on what your goals are and what skills you bring to bring to bear, and um, your personality, and you know, how do you run your business. But um, at the heart of it, people are buying a product, uh, and so you know, if you want to have an easier time in the business, uh, a more exciting time in the business. Certainly, the core offering is is what's really critical. Okay, I love that. And you know, after all, we are in the food industry, and we're selling products that people consume, so they've got to be tasty for people to become repeat purchasers, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and you know, a lot of people that enter the business they're they're neophytes. You know, they don't they don't really know that much about business or or CPG or or the different channels of distribution or the different marketing methods or or you know, all these things. And so all they know is, you know, how do I make a product? And maybe it's, you know, grandma or grandpa's recipe handed down the generations or, or something their, their spouse makes or, you know, whatever it is, they somehow happened upon something they think is pretty good. Um, and their friends and family told them it was pretty good. And so they, they want to bring it to the rest of the world because, you know, either they just like sharing or they want to make a bunch of money or whatever it is. <laughs> uh, so, you know, that's, that's the core of what they start with. Um, and they don't, maybe they're not exceptional salespeople or understand really how to drive things with marketing or positioning or all that. So um, especially at the beginning, you know, you can really help yourself by, you know, if people taste that product and they're like, wow, you know, that just saved you a fortune in marketing dollars <laughs> by just getting to that point. And what's unfortunate is, if you look up the definition of the word average, that is where most products are. And that's just, you know, because not everything can be outstanding or, or the word average wouldn't have any meaning. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that, that's where I have always encouraged new people coming into the business. And we lots of them send us notes and ask us to taste products and all that. Um, spend a little more time really refining your product, really making sure that it is a above average or even outstanding, uh, you know, and test it with people who are not your friends and family, uh, people who you think would be your ultimate, you know, buying demographic, you know, buyers. Um, and if you do that, you've just, you're so far ahead in the game. Um, and you can make lots of other mistakes and not be that well-funded and so many things you can do wrong and still succeed by just having a product that is, is just better. I I love that you say don't you know in a in a sense you said don't trust 
your friends and family's opinions. And this is something that I talk about all the time in Retail Ready. The fact that those people, your loved ones want you to succeed and they're going to tell you what they want you to hear, right? So we've got to get those people who are not at all related to you, not in your inner circle, not at all committed to the success of your product to give you candid feedback. And I think that's easier said than done, Dave. Like, how do you, this is a little bit off topic here, but how do you get that feedback from strangers? Yeah. So, I mean, we're lucky. We live in this amazing time where the internet has brought so many things, so many how-tos to our fingertips in in less than 60 seconds. So, I mean, there's two things. One, One is, you know, you're testing an idea, like, you know, what do you name this this product? Um, what should it look like? What size should it be? How expensive should it be? Um, and you can do all that by like a survey monkey mm-hmm. or whatever. And, you know, a, a service like that is not only the form, but they'll even give you like people to send it to. I mean, yeah. so it's really easy to find people to send it to, to test ideas. Now, if you want to test the actual flavor of it, that's not that hard either. You just go, um, you know, go to a shopping mall, go in yeah. front of a, your local grocery store, go, you know, go to some sort of club. Um, there's a gazillion places. I mean, if you're further along, you can, you know, go sign up for a local craft show and set up yeah. a little booth. Yeah. Um, but it's so easy to get feedback. Um, and you, I would even spend the extra time and you just Google like, you know, market surveying or, or, mm-hmm. or market mm-hmm. research because there's a few little tips of like, you know, you know, how do you avoid confirmation bias? You know, yes. someone... If yeah. you're staring at someone in the face and saying, do you like it? <laughs> They're going to be much more positive than they would be if you weren't staring at them. You know, so yeah. <laughs> want to be anonymous. They don't want pressure. Um, you know, and they'll be pretty honest. But, you know, it's also like, do you like it? Well, I like it if it's two bucks. Exactly. But I don't like it if it's 10 bucks. Yep. Um, so there's lots of different ways to ask questions. But, you know, you really want to get that information up front uh, because, you know, uh, like I was saying before, there's many ways to succeed. Um, one is to have the best tasting product. Another is to have the best position product, mm-hmm. right? So there are products out there that are amazing successes. I'm not going to name them, but um, <laughs> I can think of a couple in the bar category who they do not taste very good and they've sold hundreds of millions of dollars um, just because they are the right position, you know, because people were looking for either a lot of protein or they were looking for, you know, uh, very low carbs or whatever. So when, when I say the product is the most important, um, I'm a flavor guy. So I would say the best tasting is, is, is how I would always go. But for other people, there's, there's the positioning um, or there's, you know, just sort of like the packaging or sometimes it's just, you know, like look at... Uh, Justin's Nut Butter, great company, great products. Um, but, you know, Tilde's went from their jarred items to the little packets. Yep. And you'll hear Justin say this. Tilde went to the little packets and some of the other things they did, they didn't really take off to the levels that they eventually reached. Um, right, so, because how many nut butters are on the shelf? You know, even 10 years ago, there were so many nut butters on the shelf, but that Justin came along and introduced the convenience of the single serve. Right. right. And, and the, if you read the surveys, and I don't suggest you do because they're not that interesting, but um, I find this kind of stuff interesting. <laughs> Americans are incredibly lazy. Um, I was reading a survey about like 
how a, a significant percentage of Americans find that pouring cereal in a bowl and pouring milk in is actually too much work. No. So, um, and that's a convenience food. Yeah. So it's really, I mean, it, it's pretty incredible. So, you know, making things and, and how you reach all this. Um, and uh, it was something I do, but I, I think a company uh, I was watching Alpha Labs has, has a whole method around this um, is, is questions. Um, and you can, you could form a list of 300 questions and you take it to a product and you say, um, what if I make it smaller? What if I make it larger? What if I make it more environmentally sustainable packaging? What if I make it organic? What if I make it non-GMO? And if you go down the supermarket aisle and look at all the claims and look at the different sizes and shapes and, and functions and all that, um, and go look at, uh, uh, analogous industries, cosmetics and other things, mm-hmm. you could form an incredible list or you could just Google it, of course. And then you just have this list of questions to ask. Um, and you could say, what if, what if, what if, um, and then you could survey it. And, you know, sometimes that's how you reposition a product to, to take off. Um, so, you know, there's the packaging, there's the positioning there, there's a product, which the product to me is, you know, flavor, consistency, feel, smell, color, all that. And that makes total sense. And I, I imagine this is, this is one of the keys that you found in creating these multiple award-winning products in really crowded categories, right? Like I think about the categories that you're in, hot sauce to begin with, pasta sauces and, you know, the sauces as a whole are hugely crowded categories. How, how do you feel like you, how did you have such an advantage and how were you able to gain traction in categories that were so saturated? Well, I mean, we had a, a natural advantage, I think, because we started out with insanity sauce mm. and it just took off because yeah. it was so vastly different and so much hotter than other products. Uh, yeah. So that, you know, that was a great launching pad. But, you know, I think a lot of it comes down to, in some ways, I'm not very smart. <laughs> so I try to think about things on a very simple level. Uh, and so that's how we thought about products is let's simplify it. At the end of the day, pasta sauce is this red tomatoey sauce that goes in a jar. Um, so what was out there? It was a sea of red and everyone really just trying to claim who's got better Italian heritage. And I thought, okay, that's good. There's, there's some good sauces out there, but like, I don't know. It didn't seem that interesting to me. And, and I was like, well, how do they choose what tomato to use? And and the tomatoes they used to me, like when I ate them, I was like, those aren't the best tasting tomatoes in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm out here in California where we grow these amazing heirloom tomatoes. Mm-hmm. I was like, those are the best tasting tomatoes. So I said, let's use those tomatoes. And I was like, well, you know, why can't I use yellow tomatoes and golden tomatoes? So we came up with a golden, you know, so, and then I was like, wow, what, what else can we use? Why are we limited to tomatoes? Um, you know, they put butternut squash inside of ravioli, so it must taste good with pasta. So let's just use that on top of the pasta. <laughs> so we made a sauce like that. And what else do they put inside of ravioli? Oh, they use wild mushrooms and mushrooms make a wild mushroom sauce. So, you know, it's that sort of very simple thinking of like, you know, you know, what is this food that I eat? And like, what do people do with it? And why do they do it that way? And, you know, because sometimes, you know, Sometimes it's just a matter of they did it that way because for 300 years, that was yep. the only ingredient available. Yep. But now there's more ingredients available. 
yeah. or the technology has changed. So now you could do it a different way. Um, or people's tastes have changed. So something they would have thought is disgusting before, now they would like. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, it's just sort of, you think about it, like ask the why questions, what if and why? And, um, and you, you know, you come up with some things that are, are disgusting and some things that are delicious. Uh, for a number of years, I battled my staff because I have a very juvenile sense of humor. And I <laughs> thought we should launch Montezuma Springs mineral water oh. made in Mexico. <laughs> So uh, I thought, you know, every 14-year-old would, would yeah. do that. Uh, yeah. But um, they talked me out of it. Yes. Because uh, you could have a version that's also cloudy. You know? Yes, you could. Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's really funny that you that you simplify it in that way. You said you talk about, you know, what was inside the ravioli? What did people pair with pastas? And why why did it have to stay on the inside? Why couldn't it then become a sauce? And I told you this before we started recording, but Back when I was in a buying role at Byright, I remember so clearly having this debate with Raf, the other buyer, about whether or not we should bring in the butternut squash sauce. And I'll tell you, Dave, we we really went back and forth on it because it it felt like a stretch, right? Like there was nothing in the category that was similar. That no one was taking squash or pumpkin or anything like that and putting it in a can as a pasta sauce. We felt like it was a stretch for our consumers who were who were already, you know, very sophisticated eaters. And the main reason why we brought it in was because of the color. We wanted that vibrant yellowy orange on the shelf and sure enough, it sold so well. Well, thank you. I appreciate you doing that. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing about these sort of American capitalist entrepreneurial system is, you know, the little companies, we are the testing ground because we can we can make mistakes and we can make them cheaply, relatively cheaply and quickly. And we're willing to take the risk. Uh, whereas the big companies, you know, it's, it just costs too much money for every product they launch because they need, they need so much certainty. And yeah. they go through like stage gate and all these elaborate R&D processes that that give them a much higher hit rate, but they're not going to do things that maybe you didn't quite think would work, but are awesome. Yeah. Um, do you still and, consider yourself a small company? Yeah. I mean, we, you know, there, there's like micro companies, um, mm-hmm. like the real startups, and we're certainly, you know, much more uh, uh, established and bigger than that. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, but we're, we're certainly not a big or medium-sized company. I mean, certainly not by SBA definitions. Yeah. But, um, you know, it also depends on what you're after. I. I never was in this to be a big company. Um, I don't run the company enough like a, like a business or a growth company. Um, Cause I just, I really more and more even now do what I want to do. Um, and um, I'm happy with that. I love that. that I, I love that. That's, that's great. Okay, Dave, I'm going to pause for a second here. We're going to have a little break and then we'll come back and we'll talk more about the, not so glamorous side of product development and talking about what happens when you launch a product or start developing a product and it flops. Okay, so hang tight. If you've been enjoying these episodes, imagine what it would be like to ask clarifying questions directly to me and have my assistants working through your strategy on these topics. Well, you can. My Retail Ready students have access to me live in our private online group and on our monthly coaching calls, and I'd love to see you in there as well. 
Retail Ready Enrollment opens again really soon and kicks off with my free masterclass on the three steps to growing your packaged food business. I have that linked here in the show notes, and I can't wait for you to join to learn more about me and how I work with clients, to find out whether Retail Ready is the right fit for you, and to learn my three steps to growing your packaged food biz. Come join me via the link in the show notes, and I'll see you there. All right, we're back. And now we're going to get into the sad side of starting a food business. Dave, I want to talk about, I'm sure you've had this experience, this, this experience of having a product idea, potentially even launching a product and having it not well received by your audience. Have you had this experience? Oh, I've had it lots of times. Yeah. Any, any big, big ones that you want to share? Gosh. Have them, have they been small enough to be drops in the bucket at this point? I think that they've all been small enough because of the way we do things. Um, you know, it, it's just tough because, you know, there's lots of different uh, processes for doing stuff in the industry. And so, you know, if you're going to go to uh, have something co-packed made for you mm-hmm. and like a retort process, um, which is a higher heat process, their minimums are much higher. Right. Um, whereas, you know, if you're going to do hot fill, you can do a much smaller amount. So, I mean, you know, so there, there's some products where you're, you know, you have to buy, you know, 30 to $70,000 worth of a yeah. product to even try it. Um, unless you can find like a university that has a test kitchen or something like that. Uh, so, you know, so um, it just depends on your product. I mean, hopefully you can, you can simulate it in sort of almost like a home kitchen environment in a safe way and then go to like the local three stores yeah. um, and test it. I mean, that's part of the problem is that, you know, people don't treat it sort of like a science experiment. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, entrepreneurs have to have a certain amount of um, blinders on. Yeah, that's you know, true. <laughs> if, if they were focused too much on risk, they wouldn't do it. So they have to have a certain amount of blinders to take the risk and to move forward and have a certain level of certainty to like just stay with it. But then they also have to have a certain amount of skepticism and sort of scientific brain to say, you know, what I'm coming out with, I don't know. Let's test it. Um, Let's see, how can we make it better? And so no matter what, I think you always have to view your item with that sort of continuous improvement model of like, you know, at intervals, like once a year, once every two years, you say, you know, how can I make it smell better, taste better? Yeah. Um, what's wrong with it? What, you know, um, and so you do the same thing, whether you succeed or whether you fail, obviously the time frame is different. Um, but, uh, you know, that's where like a, you know, almost like a stage gate process is where like you get to this gate and the gate is, oh my gosh, people aren't buying it. Yeah. Um, and you have to decide, um, okay, like do some quick research. Why aren't they buying it? So go out and survey some people. Um, you know, is it the flavor? Is it the positioning? Is it, you know, that once you test nine different position ideas and flavors, they still get a negative reaction. Yeah. Maybe it's just not going to work. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you know, you had a reason to launch it in the first place. So if that was a well-researched and thought out reason, then, then, you know, then you should be able to find a way to make it work by iterating, trying, you know, bigger, smaller, saltier, sweeter, you know, whatever it is. Um, you know, so you should be able to iterate your way there, but 
you know, then part of it is you need that, that sort of crafty entrepreneur brain. Like, how do you, how do you do all this on a shoestring and how do you do it in some quick time frame? And, um, you know, that all takes that sort of, um, that, 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 that just creative twisting on it over and over again. And, and how well you do all of that will determine really if you succeed or not. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I always feel so conflicted about this really early stage product launch or this really early stage food business and the idea that, that they typically are seeking feedback from the grocery buyer and from its performance on the retail shelf. And there's always that it's almost like a chicken and an egg this egg scenario where it is your product has to be really good for the buyer to say yes and put it on the shelf but you have to get that feedback in order to make a really good product that's appealing to the buyer in the first place right so i feel like right. it's this really it's it's a challenging spot to be in where you get the product as good as you can before you start pitching it to wholesale accounts right well that that's where i mean there's there's certainly ways of doing that online, you mm-hmm. know, where you, you set up either a crowd raise or whatever. And, uh, or you go in one of those boxes, like the giveaway snack boxes and yep. they'll actually yep. survey and give you feedback. But, um, so, you know, that's, that's the digital way. Um, I think faster and easier, uh, and I almost prefer still is, is the whole sort of like, you know, go to a la- local craft fair kind of method. Um, or any, any show where like, you know, thousands of people are walking through and you can set up a booth. Uh, and, you know, test it there. I mean, that's, that's really the best place to test things because you can actually sell at a lot of those. So you can actually get paid um, or, or pay very little because it's subsidized to test your product. Yeah. Uh, and so yeah. I think that's the best way. And if it's a good product, you're also introducing it to a lot of people at the same time. And so if you're smart about it, you do it in the local area. And then, you know, then you go to a couple of local stores and you get in and you already have a consumer base that knows about it. Um, and that, that's sort of a good way to do it, but, you know, and you know, you have the theory of concentric circles, a lot of people, so you start in your, you know, your city and go one store at a time and then go to the neighboring city and then one city further and just spread out from there. Um, but you know, that, that does take longer. Um, Yeah. Yeah, it does. And I am sure that you've experienced this, but I have, I have clients who come to me and expect to go from idea to, Whole Foods regional <laughs> stores within you know three months six months and it just it just doesn't happen like that. Right, right, and the grocery and the grocery chains nowadays almost all run on some sort of once a year schedule. So yeah, category and, reviews. Yeah, category reviews. So I mean, and it's unfortunate because like you know I think we once launched an item in October and the review had been in September. So essentially, we couldn't even get a review until we were 11 months in market. And if they said yes, that meant we probably wouldn't get on the shelf till like 15, 16, 17 months after we introduce. Um, So, you know, if you have an initial amount of inventory you have to make, and what do you do with your inventory if if you have to sit on it for, you know, so there's definitely challenges. But that's where, you know, craft fairs and all that are a really great way of, I think, starting out. I love that idea. And and I also like that you paired it with the idea of making some of your investment back while still getting insight from your target audience. 
Right, right. There, there are a number of marketing methods. That's a different topic, I know, but um, a marketing methods where I think you can get it subsidized in different ways. Yeah, absolutely. So what's what's next for Dave's Gourmet? Where are you guys going in 2020? Well, we have a couple of new pasta sauces coming out that are, are, are different. Uh, and then we are working on a couple of new hot sauces, of course. Um, mm-hmm. And then the oats, where we're playing with some new items to, to support that. And then... Um, I've been toying with a snack line for a couple of years now. Uh, we don't do anything fast nowadays, it seems. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's also one of the, the tensions in product design is the more different the item, the harder it is to make. Because if you're making it yourself, that's a lot of expensive equipment and a lot of expensive R&D and, and, and you know, finding the expertise. Because if you're doing something that nobody's doing, then most people don't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. And, and if you're trying to have it co-packed at a different plant, you have to then find a plant that can do that, even though no one's actually doing it now. Yeah. Uh, so it, it just becomes hard because a lot of plants don't want to do anything different. They, wanna, they want volume. So, uh, so it, it's, it's just the more innovative you are, the more headaches you get. Uh, but uh, of course, that's, that's what I like to do. So yeah, and it's clearly worked for you, right? Like launching products that are really new in stagnant categories has been your way to win on on product development. Yeah, yeah. But but there's also like a different sort of dichotomy there of like, you know, like the Sophie Awards from the fancy mm-hmm. food shows, yep. like which I, I would argue are probably still the the most prestigious, hardest yeah. to win awards in this yeah. industry. Uh you know, they um there's lots of products that win those awards um, that don't sell very well. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's it, the Holy grail is like, how do you make a product that can win a Sophie award? Um, Cause it's that good and special, but you can also sell, you know, at least hundreds of thousands of dollars of, um, if not millions, um, you know, because you don't really want to design a bunch of products that sell, you know, 10, 15, $30,000. Because uh, you can't hit production minimums and you can't get any yeah. economies of scale, and uh, unless your business is built around having 500 different items, right? Or oh, unless wow. your business is built off this idea that you're going to sell locally at your farmers market and you know make enough to support you and not grow the business beyond that, right? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. The, um, I sometimes forget that, but that's what I was referring to initially when. Everyone comes to this with different goals. I mean, for some some people, this is a part-time thing. For some people, it's, you know, they're an MBA with a, a business plan and, yeah. you know, private equity backing and this <laughs> and that. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, uh, we see we see so many different types of students in retail ready. And some of them come in and they say, like, you know, I've got a caramel sauce company and we've got three SKUs and we want to sell regionally in six farmers markets and we want to sell you know, $80,000 a year. And I'm like, yes, we can do that. We can absolutely make that happen for you. And then somebody else comes in and they're like, you know, I've got a single skew of a pickle and I want to sell, I want to be a $5 million company within the next 12 months and sell in Costco, you know, much harder to make that happen. Yeah. I mean, if anyone can do it in that time frame, Costco and Trader Joe's are the, are the yep. two of the ones that can do it. And, and yep. Um, Walmart, if you have an in, but yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's usually a long shot, um, and people don't really talk about it. But uh, you know, if if you look at exits, 
So, Mm -hmm. you know, if people look to sell their company one day um, and you really talk to like the investment bankers and and that community, um, in some ways they would almost have you sell less, um, but sell well where you are. Mm -hmm. And so like, that's where a more methodical approach of like, you know, a lot of us are sort of like, if a chain says, hey, I'm interested, we're like, yes. Mm-hmm. You know, just, yes. Who is it? I don't care. Yeah, okay. Uh, but they would rather you pick chains carefully and roll them out more slowly. But each chain you go into, make sure you're really supporting your item because they want to see how fast you how fast you sell in every single store you're in. Because yep. it's a more compelling case for someone buying you that like, wow, they sell three jars a week uh, and they're growing at a, a good clip, um, even though they're only in, let's say, 1,000 stores. Yeah. Um, but if you're in 5,000 stores and only selling one jar a week, um, you know, that's, that's actually a lot less compelling a case, although you're actually, well, let, let's say- You're was, selling slightly more, but- yeah. You know, at the end of the day, it's also like, which, which would you rather manage 3000? I don't know. What did you say? 1000 stores, but, or that are like doing quite well or 5,000 stores that are, you know, slow item movement, much right. rather support the 1000 key stores. Right. And that's where, you know, people that, that can argue about it's, it's, you know, the product's only part of the picture. This is where it gets to that is the whole there's a very methodical side to the industry of, you know, that watching data and, and sort of, you know, having a discipline to, to your rollout approach mm-hmm. and your, your, how you promote and how you market, um, and how you support things. And you can really drive a lot more business by, by doing that well. That's um, not really our focus as much, although we have to do that, of course, but um, you know, there's that whole side to it. Um, so you can create the great product and sell half as much as you would um, if you're left less disciplined. Right. And if no one knows about it, right, that's where your your marketing strategy and your distribution strategy come into play. Exactly. But only after you've created a really great product line. Yeah. Because I mean, at the end of the day, even if you're successful, like who really wants to walk around and say, yeah, my product, it's Okay. Exactly. No one, no one wants that for their food business, especially when, you know, especially in this industry where people are eating your product, it's got to be really, really delicious. Yeah. You want to be proud and, you know, you want to like, you know, you want to bring it to your, your, your parents or your friends and then them say, wow, you know, this is really great. And, and inside you want to feel like, yeah, you know, that's actually true. They're not just being nice. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because after all, we we did both agree your friends and your family are lying to you, right? Don't trust them. Don't they, trust they mean them. well, but, <laughs> but don't trust them. But don't trust them. I, I love that we agree on that point. All right, Dave, this has been awesome. I'm so happy. I'm so happy that you came on the podcast. I'm so happy, happy we got to connect. And I'm I'm really grateful for the time that you spent with my audience today. Thank you so much for being on here. Well, thanks for having me. It was fun. I appreciate it. All right, my whizzes. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I'm curious, what did you learn about creating winning products and how are you going to implement this advice moving forward? Come continue the conversation with me in the Food Biz Whiz Facebook group, linked in the show notes, 
or tag me on Instagram at it's Allie Ball. I would love to hear what you think. As always, I appreciate the time you've spent listening in today and I'll catch you next week with another episode. Until then, stay busy. Thank you for listening to Food Biz Whiz, the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe so you never miss a beat. Hungry for more? Check out www.foodbizwiz.com. That's food, B-I-Z-W-I-Z.com for detailed show notes from all episodes. Thanks again for tuning in and stay busy.